From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come gather round the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are indeed among friends. Before we get rolling, birthday wishes to my mother. Happy birthday, Mom. She turns 96 tomorrow, and she's laying in bed listening right now and rolling her eyes. Oh, don't mention my birthday. Well, too late. Uh, The whole family got together for a barbecue in her backyard on Saturday, and a couple of her grandchildren joined in via Zoom, one in Victoria, B.C., the other in South Africa. So, uh, again, birthday wishes. We all love you, Mom. I love you, and I'll see you soon, and I'll be bringing the boys uh, to see you again uh, for a little bass fishing. All right. Uh, Carlos Kajina is the technical producer. Ryan White is my live stream producer. And, yes, we are live streaming on my YouTube channel tonight, Strange Planet. The uh, the chat room has filled up. Uh, Mike Logue is there. Pyramid 7, Thinker, Show Me the Truth 74, Mad Pogue, YY, a new new, uh, uh, entrant. Uh, Matthew Sainsbury is joining us. D. Silver. Uh, Who else? Well, they're all there, and uh, we'll say hello to some more a little bit later. And just a a reminder to those of you in the YouTube live chat, get your questions ready. We're taking a lot of questions and comments via the YouTube chat. Less on the phone uh, these days and more from the YouTube. All right. Um, So, yeah, we're live streaming on YouTube. Now, I want to mention that occasionally – I'm a very bad boy, and one of my episodes will be taken down from YouTube because uh, either I cut a little too close to the bone or my guest uh, drops a truth bomb, and I get placed in YouTube prison. And when that happens, and it happened a couple of weeks ago when Joseph Farrell was on the show, uh, YouTube took it down. And so we posted it, or Ryan did, that is, my live stream producer, posted it to my channel on Rumble. Dot com And I suspect eventually we'll be moving everything over to Rumble uh, as soon as we figure out how to do the live stream over there. So you might want to subscribe in anticipation of that to my Rumble channel as well. Go to Rumble.com. And then, this is important, you have to uh, search under channels, not videos. Search under channels, and it's Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. All right. There's a brand new organization of scientists, academics, researchers from 27 countries and five continents who are unanimous in their recognition that we are not alone in the cosmos. Based on more than 75 years of research, ICER, the International Coalition of Extraterrestrial Research, acknowledges that the UFO UAP phenomenon is real. It acts with intelligence and is likely to be extraterrestrial, non-human in origin. ICER believes all countries now need to prepare for confirmation that the Earth is being engaged by non-human intelligences and purposes awareness programs be established to deal with the profound issue of contact and its global implications. The organization's launch comes in the wake of recent verified events. One, a New York Times article from 
the 16th of December, 2017, which revealed a hitherto secret UFO UAP research program in the phenomenon into the phenomenon between 2007, 2012 with a $22 million budget. And uh, the article confirmed that U.S. Navy fighter pilots had captured astonishing footage of unidentified aerial vehicles operating in the airspace of the United States in a series of infrared videos taken in 2004 and 2015. Significantly, the objects observed were unlike anything the pilots had seen before and moved into spectacular and moved in spectacular ways that appeared to be technologically far beyond anything man has yet developed. In June 2020, a U.S. Navy task force was created to investigate these objects, which pilots are encountering with increasing frequency. The task force is due to submit a highly anticipated report to the U.S. Congress by June 25th. 2021. ICER aims to take this discussion to the highest levels of governance, including the United Nations. Tonight, two members of the International Coalition of Extraterrestrial Research, Gary Heseltine, the vice president of ICER, he's standing by in England. In hour two, Roswell investigator, UFO uh, researcher, author Don Schmidt is the North American representative, again, for the International Coalition for Extraterrestrial Research. Former police detective Gary Hesseltine is the vice president, as I say. Using skills finely honed as a home office trained police officer, Gary has examined cases with the best evidence, those that have high caliber witnesses with special knowledge, often corroborated by technology. He concludes on circumstantial evidence that some identified, unidentified objects are real and act as if intelligently controlled and that whatever is behind them is likely to be extraterrestrial or non-human. He spoke on behalf of police officers worldwide who had experienced sightings at the Citizen Hearing on Disclosure at the National Press Club in Washington, D.C. back in 2013. He spent six years in the Royal Air Force Police before serving in the British Transport Police between 1989 and 2013. As an advanced police interviewer of suspects and witnesses, he worked on a complex case or worked on complex cases such as murder, manslaughter and rape. He was a specialist interviewer of first responder BTP officers at the inquiry into the 2005 London terrorist bombing. Gary undertook a four-year reinvestigation of Britain's most famous UFO event at Rendlesham Forest, Suffolk, close to the twin bases of RAF Woodbridge and RAF Bentwaters used at the time by the U.S. Air Force. He was writing a book on it. That will, um, or he did write a book on it that will feature new military witness testimonies that should significantly change uh, the existing narrative. And he was also uh, the lead researcher on a feature-length documentary on the case na- um, called Capel Green, after the uh, field where some of the events occurred. Gary Hesseltine, welcome back. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you for having me back. It's been a while. So this is exciting. May 25th. Uh, this launched. Uh, do we call it ICER? Is that the per- the per- Yes, the, uh, yeah, that's perfect pronunciation. ICER. All right. Nice and easy to remember. Right. And uh, your vice president. How did this all come together? Uh, strangely, uh, I became involved um, after uh, Don. Uh, Don, who obviously will speak uh, later about this. Uh, he and Roberto Pinotti, who is the president of ICER. He's a, a very uh, well-known Italian researcher with 50 years of experience, uh, former military officer. Uh, 
he and uh, Don were invited to go to China, believe it or not, uh, on the guise of a supposed Chinese UFO group's uh, disclosure initiative. And the idea was originally to get 30 countries together with a view to trying to get to the UN at some point. Now, uh, Don and uh, Roberto went to China, I think it was uh, February of 2018. And from that, they were encouraged to start seeking out well-known researchers, etc., etc., and and scientists and academics. And basically what happened was that um, a uh, conference was set up in Moscow for October of 2018. And it was during that process of trying to recruit people, as it were, and it was kind of all done on on a, on a peer review, people that you knew and trusted, etc., that I got invited by Don to go to Moscow. And that was particularly exciting for me because uh, for someone who'd been in the military, who'd you know, lived through the Cold War, as it were, uh, Moscow was very much a place which you couldn't get to for many, many years. So I obviously knew it, its uh, historical significance, but it's also a beautiful city, and I'd seen Red Square and beautiful buildings around it, churches. So I jumped at the chance to go. It wasn't easy to get there because you had to jump through a lot of hoops, uh, uh, getting visas, etc. Um, but nevertheless, got there, and uh, eight of us turned up there to meet with uh, the Chinese delegation. And uh, we, over the course of three days, we um, sat around the table and had discussions. Uh, and the core principles of this new organization that was going to be funded by the Chinese UFO group, I might add, we never were told where the money was coming from, although... Many people will say that nothing happens in China without the leadership knowing. But right. we never is that a concern? For- is that a concern, Gary? That the communist Chinese might be involved? Well, if I, if I tell the story, it was a failed Chinese initiative. Uh, it wasn't at the time because we were told that it was money from a Chinese UFO group. Uh, they didn't explain where the money came from, and obviously, a lot of people who were attending, i.e., the eight of us meeting with the Chinese were just eager to find out what was what. So we met in Moscow over three days, had talks, and basically agreed that we would go back to our respective countries and try to recruit more people uh, to the broad principle of trying to get 30 countries. And so that's what we did. Uh, But one of the things that we agreed uh, whilst we were in Moscow was that it would be one country, one vote, regardless of the size of the country. So you can't really get any more democratic than that. That would not lead to, like, big countries overpowering smaller countries. Uh, So that was an important principle. We agreed uh, that everybody who joined ISA, it wasn't called ISA then, we didn't have a name. Uh, uh, Whoever joined us would have to sign an oath that basically... Uh, said that we, after looking at the research over 70 plus years, that uh, we thought uh, the phenomenon was real, acted with intelligence, and was likely to be extraterrestrial or non-human. So that's still the case. Anybody that joins ISA has to sign that, which in a sense was my suggestion because uh, there's always been loads of infighting within the UFO communities, and that's probably why we've never had any kind of real say-so 
in a political sense, uh, not in the sense of a party, but having any real power. Uh, I don't think we've been very good at organising because we've been too busy infighting over the years. So the the idea of the oath was to say, look, we're all going to sign this as you don't become one of us. Uh, and therefore, you, in essence, what you're trying to do is create a like-minded body, which is what we've got. And I can honestly say that since we began the process of, uh, of, of preparing to go public, which was in June of 2020, uh, we've never had any wrong words in any of the live Zoom meetings, even though you've got South Americans, you've got Asians, you've got Europeans, you've got all manner of people with different cultural backgrounds, but we've never had a wrong word yet. So I think the uh, the idea of the, the oath works and it pulls us together and binds us together in a way that you don't usually see UFO organizations do so. Uh, and I think what makes us a lot uh, different from anyone else is the fact that we are truly international. There are there are many groups with international members, but I doubt very much that there's any that are in regular contact on a week-to-week -week basis like we are with three or four meetings a week, especially in the, the run-up to the launch. So we have got to know each other. And uh, just going back, I'll, I'll finish the story of, of the Chinese involvement. Uh, we... Uh, from that meeting in Moscow, we said, look, if you're serious, we'll do this, but you need to show us that you're serious. So we would like you to organize a conference for whoever many people we get uh, for February 2019, February, March, something like that. And they said, yeah, fair enough. Um, so we left Moscow on, you know, cautiously optimistic that this was a new uh, idea and, and we were going to explore it. Uh, however, by February, nothing had come, uh, nothing had been arranged. Uh, we were told that there were some problems, uh, there'd been some kind of mining disaster in the town or the city where they planned to have the meeting. Uh, we then said, okay, well, when are you going to have this uh, conference uh, inviting us all back or all there? And they didn't come back to us, and we waited months. And collectively, we began to doubt that this was ever going to happen. Uh, but by that time, we'd probably gotten probably 19 or 20 countries' uh, representatives, national representatives, uh, more or less agreed in principle. Um, so we kind of we were a bit frustrated. We kept leaving messages, nothing happened. Uh, there'd be the odd sporadic message saying, yeah, yeah, something will happen, but it didn't. So we basically said that if it gets to the anniversary of that Moscow conference, i.e. October 2019, uh, if we hadn't heard anything by then, we'd assume that, that that Chinese initiative was dead. And that actually came to pass, nothing happened. So then we, we kind of sat and did nothing for a while. Uh, and then it got into 2020. We got into a pandemic and people are in lockdown. And I'm thinking everybody's using Zoom. Uh, so that's speeded up the process. Everybody's talking to each other on camera, as it were. So I suddenly thought this would be foolish to let this goodwill go. So I organized a pro Zoom account and then started contacting people from uh, the Moscow conference and the ones that had provisionally agreed to the principal. Uh, 
and uh, we began our first meetings in June of 2020. And as I said, from then it just increased. We set up working party groups to look at, one was called communications, another one was called uh, working on the, the ethics, the mission statement, etc. And uh, we looked at various things over many months and the working groups kept reporting back and we'd have various different types of meetings uh, three, four times a week. Uh, and that culminated on, uh, into our launch on the 25th of, June, uh, 25th of May, uh, just almost three weeks ago. And here we are, so very, been very, very busy since. So we, we began with a worldwide uh, uh, newswire release that went, I think, to something like 150,000 news agencies around the world. And what we also did in each of our 27 countries, because it was 27 countries at the launch, uh, was we were having a mail blitz in each of those countries as well. So we'd written to all sectors of society, right from heads of government to heads of uh, defence, uh, aviation, uh, university, educational, uh, all sectors of society, trying to say, look, this uh, situation that's now developing in America, i.e. the U.S. Task Force, Navy Task Force, things are happening at an unprecedented uh, frequency level that that I've never seen in my time, and, I, and I've talked it over with Don, and he agrees the amount of serious, important people who've gone on the record uh, making very positive statements that it's time to be more transparent uh, that basically we were in a situation where we were uh, well on the way to creating something. So 27 countries, five continents, it's never been done on a global uh, aspect. We wanted to draw attention to the fact that we should be preparing now for a new reality. Um, regardless of the politics of a pandemic, uh, a lot of people have suffered psychologically because they were kept in lockdown for months on end and there was a, a really a, a, a lack of forethought. Nobody thought a real pandemic would happen and so countries were way underprepared. And there are similarities with what ICER is proposing now because what ICER is proposing is that instead of waiting for that reality to hit home and suddenly 95% of the world who've been led to believe for 70 years that we're all crackpots is suddenly going to get told, well, actually, there is something to this and it is likely to be extraterrestrial or non-human because we can't explain it. Uh, that would be like hitting a brick wall for a lot of people. Uh, so how do you kind of stop that happening? Well, you begin now by saying, what if? What if it is real? Uh, and whether it's uh, on the 25th of June, whether it's an interim report, whether it's a bit of a whitewash where we're saying, oh, yeah, there's 120 incidents. Most of them we can't explain, uh, but we can't prove that it's extraterrestrial, which is kind of like a cop-out because they're saying we can't prove it isn't, but we can't prove it is either. So it, it's, that, uh, it's a $64,000 question. But America has now ruled itself out. So instead of a three-horse race, we're into a two-horse race. Now, if you'd have said in, on, in terms of the UFO community uh, a year ago, you, would you be happy to be in a 50-50 race with foreign adversary or ET non-human, then I think everybody would have snapped their hands off. 
because that's what we're at now. And this is why it's not a negative, even though it was uh, this so-called leak of the report said, oh, we can't prove it's extraterrestrial. We know that that's a, a play on words. But it's very easily argued that it's not for an adversary if you know the history of the subject. Well, from ISIS's point of view, we've got academics who study this subject, an astronomer who's soon to be in a book with Avi Loeb, so obviously a well-known astronomer. We've got many of the world's leading researchers from around the world, people like Don Schmidt, the leading Roswell researcher. We've got people like Victor Vigiani of Zedland from Canada. We've got Susan Hansen from New Zealand, Cheryl Gottschall from Australia. These are people with decades of experience uh, and and so I think we worked it out that collectively history wise of, of investigation and research we've got something like two to three hundred years of experience collectively now unfortunately the rest of the world other than, unless you're in the UFO community and 95% of people I would hazard a guess don't have a clue about any of the evidential history. That's, that's I, true. Uh, Gary, pardon the interruption. I've got to uh, take right. a time out here. We'll come back and discuss further. Gary Heseltine is vice president of ICER, the International Coalition for Extraterrestrial Research. Don Schmidt will be joining us in the second hour. He's ICER's North American representative. Keep it right here. Stay tuned. More to come. Exploring theories, uncovering facts, and offering a different view of the universe. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrant. All right, we are back. Gary Heseltine, Vice President of ICER, nonprofit organization comprised of scientists, academics, leading UFO, UAP researchers from 27 countries on five continents I've been reading in the press material, Gary, that, that you want to get to 50 countries. Is that a, an important number? I mean, obviously, it would be impressive to have 50 countries, but is there a specific meaning to that? Do you have to have 50 countries, for example, to be able to speak before UNESCO, the United Nations? Uh, no, I think there was a – I think – I don't know where the 50 has come from, to be honest. Uh, the, I think that the number that would be needed would be 30 to be truly recognized as a world organization. I think that's why the Chinese chose 30, ah. was to be recognized as a world organization. Now, let me just explain. Uh, obviously, ISA uh, wants to take this to the highest levels of governance, uh, including the UN. But let me state that the UN is a different. You can't just, as a, uh, an international NGO, just approach the UN and say, "I want to have a conference. Uh, I want to have a question raised on the UN floor." It doesn't work like that. The UN, the only people that can ask questions on the UN floor are actually other nations. However, what you can do as an international NGO is you can accrue a body of work over time uh, that's then recognised that you will have special consultative status to the UN. But what you still need is a nation state to say, right, yes, I like the work of ISA. They've done good work over the years, and I will now kind of adopt ISA and ask a question on their behalf. So it has to be another nation state to ask questions. Uh, however, the key thing for us is getting to that consultative status. However, with 
the likes of the recent reports where the Chinese are actually coincidentally saying that uh, Chinese leader is saying that he might want to brief the UN about uh, UFOs or UAP in in China, uh, then that would be very interesting because suddenly you've got another you've got a nation state introducing this so they can ask and they can have a, they can say right we want to debate on the on the floor and that would be really interesting but the real shock is going to be that 95% of the world is not prepared for this and yes people will say well no no people say well it's 50% in a gallup poll and whatever but that don't mean anything that's just a quick ask me a quick question do you believe there's ufo's yeah there might be 20 30% or whatever that doesn't mean anything, but the none of them have knowledge. So the only people with knowledge are, in a sense, leading researchers, people who've studied this privately for a long time. And but there's so much rubbish out there, and so much division within the UFO community. Who do you go to? So what ICE is coming together is to say, look, we need to create awareness programs. How do you bring that reality crash? A scenario down and also uh, obviously if things are flying around in the USA space with impunity as Luis Elizondo is saying as Chris Merlin is saying then technically there is a, a vulnerability there to the US nation and there is that threat element but ISA is specifically coming onto the world stage to say well hang on a minute this is a global phenomenon. A lot of people in America think it's just America that has these sightings. It's not. It's a worldwide phenomenon. And two, yes, technically there is a threat there. However, if you know your history of the subject, which 95% of people don't, then over the last 70 years, people like ISIS, uh, very uh, extensive knowledge of research accrued over many decades, will say, look, over the last 70 years, there is no overt threat to the world because these things have been around for a long time. Uh, and, and in fact, what we did for the press was uh, create a 60-case summary document, a PDF, just for the press to say, look, here you go, 60 cases, One, it's not a big, thick document, it's one case summary per page with a few little references and an aspects of intelligent behavior, just to give them a flavor. Now, the first case in that goes back to 1942, and it's not a Foo Fighter, which most people associate with the, uh, with the Second World War. Sometimes, other than balls of light were seen. And one case that's in the, uh, the National Archives at Kew in London uh, details a case from 1942, uh, and if you want, I'll tell you this case, because I, I pretty much guarantee that 99% of the, your listeners will have never heard of this classic case. I don't uh, think I, it, I've heard it, it, it either, Gary, so please, yes, all right, tell. Okay, all right. In the National Archives, there is a, a document that was in a formerly secret, and it was so sensitive at the time, it was recorded in 1942, that a very senior uh, officer wrote on the cover this is an incredible report uh basically uh the all the air crew are standing steadfast to their story as to the details inside and the details of what they saw it was a lancaster bomber crew a four-engined 
propeller uh, bomber of the Second World War, one of the larger bombers of the Second World War, was on a raid over Turin in Italy. And basically, the captain was Captain Lever, with a crew of eight, including himself. And when they were 15 miles uh, south of Turin, they saw a huge cylindrical object that they estimated to be to be between 200 to 300 feet in length and about 40 feet in diameter. And it also had uh, uh, sections that were darker, like uh, a light area, dark area, light area, dark area. So this looked metallic. Uh, it was flying at approximately 400 to 500 miles an hour. So this completely rules out any kind of an airship kind of scenario. No noise, no air disturbance, and all eight crew, air crew saw it. And amazingly, on the way back from the raid from Turin, they saw it again going through a mountain pass in a slightly different direction, but they saw it again. And when they landed, they got debriefed, and they said, we saw this strange thing, and they were told, keep quiet. Uh, it was so bizarre. It obviously went up very high in the chain of command. And that's why this senior officer put this docket onto it, saying, look, this is an absolutely bizarre thing, but we don't want to tell anybody about it uh, because we might, it might frighten the other air crews and, you know, might them be fearful of going on raids. So this is a document that's in existence. You can actually go to the National Archives proving that there was a cylindrical object. Now, the question you've got to ask yourself is, that was in 1942, Multiple corroborated by, on two occasions by the crew of eight. All right. So 400, 500 miles an hour, two to 300 feet in length. Have we then got an object that we could put in a terrestrial bracket? The closest thing that you'd get to it is an airship, but the airship can't, could not travel at uh, 400, 500 miles an hour. And when we now jump all these years later, to 2021, have we got anything that can fly at 400, 500 miles an hour? Yes. But have we got anything that flies at 200 to 300 feet in length and is cylindrical that has no wings, no tail, and no control surfaces propulsion system? And the answer is no. So what you saw in 1942 has never been explained, can't be explained by secret stealth, because the stealth argument is only good for 20 years. If you think of the F-117, the little batwing plane that emerged uh, in 1991 with the first Gulf War, that first flew in 1975, 16-year gap before going public. So, okay, let's use the stealth argument. Whatever that object was that was seen in 1942 should have been out by 62. And obviously things that were seen in 62 should have been out in 82. So the stealth argument doesn't work. But neither does the foreign adversary if the press are going to go down the line. And what you've got at the moment is, is the press uh, almost childlike because they're, they're asking questions about a subject that they, until very recently, they thought was just loony tunes. So they're asking very bad questions in the main, not all of them. But a lot of them have in great difficulty asking questions about this. And you can see it on the faces. And they want to make a joke. And some of them, I remember seeing Chris Cuomo on CNN. And he said, I can't believe I'm asking this. And he was reading off his screen. So he had to read it out. 
because he had two guests to interview. But you can see that the press are having a real difficulty. Right, with with few exceptions. Adjusting. Yeah, right. with perception. I think Forrest Tucker has done it. Um, uh, uh, Forrest Tucker. I keep saying Forrest Tucker. Tucker Carlson. The actor. Forrest Tucker. I remember <laughs> yeah. the actor. Giving our age away. From F Troop. Yes. Absolutely. I don't know why I have this block. I keep saying Forrest Tucker. No, Tucker he, Carlson. I know you mean. Yeah, yeah. Tucker yeah. Carlson has done it pretty Tucker good. Tucker Carlson Listen, is doing an excellent job. Gary, and, we'll take uh, a time out here. And then I've got uh, a bunch of questions in the YouTube live chat. We've got, I think, some people on the phone. I've got additional questions. And uh, we'll um, we'll also keep this going into the second hour when Don Schmidt, the North American representative of ICER, the International Coalition for Extraterrestrial Research, uh, will be here. Gary Hesseltine stays with us. Vice President, back with more in a moment. Don't go away. The world is being pulled over your eyes. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrant. All right, back with Gary Hesseltine, Vice President of ICER. Now, let me ask one of those. It may be one of those dumb questions from the mainstream media. I don't consider myself mainstream media. However, and you mentioned earlier, this is now down to a two horse race. It's either aliens or it's a foreign adversary. But given the, uh, you know, you, you talked about stealth programs and how they're kind of like there's this 20 year gap. But what if these stealth programs are, in fact, Gary, uh, window dressing? You know, people talk about the secret space program. We, we hear from whistleblowers, people like Gary McKinnon, you know, the idea that there are deep space platforms and, and so yeah. forth. It, so it may not be 20 years. It may be 100 years or, or even longer. What about the idea of a, a breakaway civilization? And that so the United States could say, well, it's not us, which is technically true because that the people that are that have this technology and this ability, they they have no allegiance to a flag or a country. Uh, the way I look at that is, um, it's possible, but as a former detective, I would say that there's not enough evidence to convince me that there is a breakaway civilization. Or uh, I, I I certainly think it's possible that um, when you know how governments work and how special access programs work all of those things are true so for example if, if roswell was true which i believe it was and they recovered a craft then then you would try to reverse engineer it of course you would because you'd want that leap in technology and whoever possessed that technology uh, would say well that makes us the strongest nation on earth and i i tend to think that's that may well have happened but can we prove it can you know conclusively no we can't because we still can't produce the alien body we can't produce the spacecraft but so that's the way i look at it i can only look at um this subject through evidential evidential eyes because i've got 30 years of collective police experience and so on the balance of everything that i've seen i'm not convinced that there is enough evidence to say that there is a breakaway civilization that's my take on it Right. Okay. So you mentioned the ninety-five percent of of us that. Um, so in many in many re- respects, it's about, it's like starting at square one. So in terms of your mission statement, how are you going to reach that ninety-five percent to prepare them for what you say is coming? Are we talking about getting this information into universities, perhaps a university course? We are currently preparing awareness courses for all sectors of society, including the media, because the media uh, don't know anything. They don't know anything of the real evidential history. 
scientists, the vast majority of scientists, it's been a taboo subject. So they know nothing. The vast majority of astronomers know nothing. Uh, the vast majority of universities know nothing about the evidential history. So we're preparing courses to allay uh, different sectors of society, to, to, to help prepare them including ones obviously for the for the for the public who are probably going to be some of the most uh, alarmed because some people i don't think anybody is going to be uh, frightened in the sense of an independence day scenario or a war of the world scenario or some wells 1938 where people are going to drive in the cars up to the hills and you know think we were being invaded uh, I think the world has changed a great deal. We live in a really uh, fast, connected world now through social media, etc. And I think a lot of people are, in essence, open to the idea that there is something. But there's a difference between I'm open to the idea and then suddenly being told that there is. Now, whether it's now or in six months or in a year's time, I think all the comments that have come from these prominent people with increasing regularity over the last three to six months uh, means that how, how do you ever change that scenario? How can you suddenly, well, for example, let's go to the 25th, uh, the DNI. He's got two previous DNIs, James Clapper and John Ratcliffe, who were both saying, uh, actually, yeah, we should be more transparent. There's loads of these things. We can't explain them, blah, blah, blah. You suddenly can't put that genie back in the bottle. So you've got two presidents who never said anything when they, when they were in office who suddenly have now said things that uh, 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 are amazed, amazing, like the Obama quote. He must have been on hundreds of talk shows over the last 20 years. And he has never, ever spoken in specifics. And then suddenly he says, yeah, we've got stuff. Uh, yeah, we've got records. We've got footage. We can't explain what they are. We don't really know what they are. And uh, we can't explain how they move. Never, ever done that. And I immediately thought, why? Why is he saying that now? And then I'm thinking, well, is he trying to tip off uh, President Biden, uh, who was his, obviously his, his vice president during his two terms of office? So was he giving him the keys to the kingdom and say, look, yeah, it's time to to ease the story on this and let's be more transparent. I don't somehow think that, uh, that the DNI on the 25th is going to suddenly say, yeah, it's extraterrestrial or non-human. But I think that, and I'm hoping, that the media will step up to the plate. Because they've, you can look at the media two ways. You can either say they've been a, a willing, culpable part of the cover-up for 70 years, or they've been a victim of the cover-up. Either way, uh, most of them don't have a clue. Genuinely, don't have a clue. All right. All right. So, so I think I think this is where you're at now, and I'm hoping that the media step up and say, "Oh, hang on a minute. You're saying it's not. You can't prove it's ET, but can you prove it's foreign technology?" And the answer will be, "Well, no." Well, can you prove it's not ET? That's what I'm hoping that they're going to say. And they're not going to let this go. Because I, th I do think what's changed with the three Fleur videos from 2017 is when they came out, it was the first time the press could say to somebody, what is that? They could, that, especially the go fast where it's skimming above the water. What is that? Tell me what that is. 
and 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 then they had something tangible that they could hook onto. All right, I've got to take another. This was a, a short segment, Gary. We'll, uh, we'll yep. come back and um, we'll get into the uh, YouTube chat questions, I promise. Back with more of my conversation with Gary Heseltine, VP of ICER. Back with more in a moment. Don't go away. Where there's smoke, there's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Just a reminder, coming up in Hour 2, Don Schmidt, the North American representative for the International Coalition for Extraterrestrial Research, Gary Heseltine, Vice President, stays with us. Uh, let's go to the YouTube live chat. And Andrew McAllister uh, asks, why go through the UN, Gary? I'm not sure what the point would be. They don't know much of anything. <laughs> well, obviously, you don't have a high opinion of the UN, but uh, I, I, I still think that... Uh, it's, a, it's got its important part to play. It may not seem like it in the day-to-day -day politics of, of many countries, but the UN, I think, is overall still uh, highly regarded on the whole. So I think uh, that is the place where countries talk to each other. It's a kind of, a, you know, we've just had uh, President Biden in the UK, still is, I think, uh, and we've had the G7, which is just seven countries. But obviously the UN, there's hundreds of countries or I'm not quite sure how many but many well over 100 countries uh, are part of the UN so that is the forum where you discuss things really on a global basis or where you should be discussing things on a global basis so from from going to your own government in your own particular country which our national representatives have written to uh, emailed etc that's one approach but obviously in time we want to get to the United Nations because that's where all countries are uh, and you can have this wider debate and obviously historically you know we with the Grenada uh, uh, from 1978 we had we we got it on the floor for a few hours albeit it was quickly you know it was left on file and he was replaced in a coup mysteriously but there you go the point is most people I think would still say that the UN has a part to play what are you expecting on June 25th from the Pentagon. Are your expectations low? I don't expect it to be disclosure with a big D, if that's what we're kind of talking about. I expect it to be another important step. Uh, and this is why I say that the press can play a part in keeping the pressure on, because I do expect the DNI to say, look, we've maybe had a hundred odd incidents. Most of them we can't explain. Uh, we can't prove that it's extraterrestrial. But then, they'll, they, by the same token, they won't be able to prove that it's not extraterrestrial, and that's the press question that I want them to, to really dig into and said, you know, you're not getting away with that play on words. You need to give us more, and they need to start releasing the data. Luis Elizondo has already said that the three grainy videos from 2017, he has seen much sharper images, many more very good videos taken by military personnel. Those should come out. I think that there should be pressure brought about by the likes of John Greenwald, by the press, etc., to get those kind of videos out. We need all the data from the ships, the Omaha, the Princeton, regarding the Nimitz incident, etc. There's loads of telemetry data there, radar data, that can be scientifically uh, researched now. And that's what we need to have, is open transparency and say, look, okay, What's happened has happened, but now let's be transparent and let's move forward together as the human race. 
Uh, D. Silver asks, uh, I'd like to ask Gary if UFOs are like orbs. At the beginning of COVID last year, I saw a half a dozen lights way up in the sky move quickly back and forth and close to each other. I, I think many uh, UFOs seen are orbs. Uh, but what do you mean by orbs? Orbs as in spheres or orbs as in small things that you see on cameras, camera effect kind of thing? I don't, I don't know if you're talking about the latter, but I do think that UFOs come in all shapes and sizes. For me, I think that they're probably living things as much as anything else because you see some uh, UFOs, uh, in very good cases, seem to transform their shape as if it's able to morph to whatever they want. So I think we're dealing with a technology. And what does Luis Elizondo say uh, that goes away from the foreign adversary angle? You're talking of a technology that's 100 to 1,000 years leap not just the next generation, a hundred to a thousand years leap. How do you explain that? Well, then, you know, what about Ben Rich's off-cited quote from Skunk Works saying that we have things in the hangar out in the desert that are 50 years beyond your wildest dream. If you've seen it on Star Wars or Star Trek, we've been there, done that, or decided it wasn't worth the effort. Was that sort of disinfo? Was he trying to scare off our adversaries? I don't know. I wish I wish he was around to ask uh, and 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 say, well, what did you really mean? Uh, because it, it's one of those great quotes that come out, and he certainly had the background to know or should know what was going on and what we had in secrets, as it were. Uh, but we can't prove that, and that's the bottom line: is what can we prove? And you can't prove what he said. True enough. True enough. Um, I want to ask you. We've just got a couple minutes here, but I want to ask you. Uh, about some of the members. First of all, how, do, how does one uh, get on board? I mean, are you looking for uh, more like scientists, academics to join up? How do they how do they get in get involved? At this stage, I would say that of the twenty seven nations, most have been, if not all, have been by peer review recommendation. What I mean by that is, like Don approached me. And, and very kindly, he obviously thought I was a good researcher, so he approached me. I then knew other people and said, well, I think he'd be good, she'd be good. Uh, and we've kind of appointed each other and made those approaches. There's been a couple of times when we've approached people and they've said, no, I'm too busy writing books, blah, blah, blah. So they haven't become the national representatives. Uh, we are currently looking for other national representatives but what I want to say is it's not about quantity it's about quality now and now that we are public we have to be very careful who we take on lots of people are saying ah I'll do it I'll do it but no we we need to check out those people and make sure they have a body of research especially when you go into places like Africa where we don't really know much about African UFO research I'd love to find serious researchers who can say yeah I've been doing this for X number of years here's the reports that I've looked into and then that would be great Uh, but they've got to be bona fide researchers not uh, armchair experts and there are many of those Tell us about uh, Professor Lachazar Filipov of Bulgaria, this astrophysicist He he, he has got an amazing CV he is uh, is he taught, he's from Bulgaria, and he's uh, at the uh, Academy of Sciences, and he trained Bulgaria's 
first astronauts. So that's the caliber of his work. Uh, I mean, he's, he's now probably in his late 60s, but for many, many years he has been holding UFO conferences or UFO-related conferences uh, at risk to his job on many occasions because he was going out on a limb when it was uh, stigmatized but he is a pioneer and and he is a space astrophysicist you know he's got a lot of talent and he's but he's one of the pioneers who in his own country has done more to uh, get the story out that the re- that that other scientists need to look at this and so he is somebody we often quote and was in our original newswire press release because you know, that shows the caliber. When somebody's trained the country's first astronauts, I think you have to be pretty prestigious to do that. Uh, and he, he is an excellent scientist, and we're lucky to have him. Um, how about the um, the uh, retired Israeli general, uh, Haim Ashed, who, you know, caused quite a stir not too long ago, talking about, you know, that, that, that it's real, this galactic federation of alien species. Uh, I think you'll find, I think you'll find that his initial thoughts himself where he thought it was real is one thing but he then quotes quoted heavily about galactic federations when you actually looked into the story he hadn't experienced any of that and this is what other people had given him information i personally don't see any evidence for a galactic civilization i'm not saying it can't happen i just don't see enough evidence to say that it has happened all right, uh, Gary, so we've got about a minute here, and then we're going to take a break and bring uh, Don Schmidt on. What? Um, so what's the next step? I mean, are you sitting back waiting for June 25th, uh, or, or what's happening next with ICER? Well, from our point of view, we're constantly, we're, we're, now we've launched. Obviously, there were lots of things to do to get ready for the launch. Now we're into the launch phase, phase one, which is establish ourselves, hopefully as a main player in this uh, subject, uh, and begin to create the awareness program. So now we have working groups working on, on, uh, on those programs now and finding out what programs, how do we tailor it, what would we cater for, what would go in it, what, how are we going to do it, are we going to do it via PowerPoint, is it going to be a one-day course, is it going to be a week-to-week course? And obviously once we get those tailored, then sooner or later down the line, we're hoping that public bodies like governments will say, actually, you're way ahead of us. Uh, we do need to prepare for this. Uh, it's this is a crazy situation, but we don't know anything about it. We're going to turn to you for our evidential history. Can you teach us about it? And then we do it and cascade it down, trainers teaching trainers kind of thing. Uh, it's a huge undertaking that we're trying to do, but we think that somebody has to do this, and we should be preparing for that what if now to try to bring, one, the fear down, and two, alleviate the psychological stress that it would cause some people. Not all. You're still going to go to work. You're still going to get on buses, get on planes, and do your normal daily things. But some people will be vulnerable and traumatized like the pandemic did with lockdowns, etc. So if we can alleviate that, then I think it's well worth trying. All right. Well, thank you for uh, for introducing us to uh, ICER, Gary. ICER dot network icer.network and uh, I'm sure we'll talk again in the not too distant future and uh, we'll bring bring Don Schmidt on uh, to talk more thank you so much Gary thank you Gary Hesseltine Vice President ICER back with more in a moment with Don Schmidt North American Representative stay with us